We come today to both hear and proclaim the good news that He is not here. He has risen, as He said. And we know that we find that kind of story in all of the Gospels, the story of God's power raising Jesus from the dead. But there are other places in Scripture that also give us the good news of how God raised Jesus from the dead. And some of those passages tell us how we should and should not respond to this good news of the risen Christ. And we find one of those today in Acts chapter 3. It's a rather lengthy reading, so I will read it for us, but I hope you'll follow along in your Bible or your bulletin insert. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. I ran across a story this past week about the 13th century theologian Thomas Aquinas. He once went to see Pope Innocent II. And as he walked into the Pope's quarters, the Pope was just happened to be counting this huge sum of money. And referencing this very text, 
the Pope said to Aquinas, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say silver and gold have I none. And Aquinas replied, true father, but neither can she say rise and walk. Aquinas was lamenting the state into which the church had fallen in his day and time because he could read about this church of power in the book of Acts like we just read and he knew that that was no longer the case. It was quite a contrast. And the reason we bring up this notion of contrast today is because this particular text is full of them. And they teach us a great deal about how we should and should not respond to the good news of the resurrected Christ and the expectations that we can now have because of this history-changing news. We can see that this lame man has a normal expectation. He's begging for money because he doesn't have the good health in order to go out and earn a living each day. And what better place to beg than right at the temple gate where all of these supposed righteous Jews are coming to worship. And Peter and John are walking in like a lot of the rest of the people. And he sees them. And he asks for money. And in verse 4 we read, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. There we see it, right there in the text. It's his usual expectation. But I want to ask you a question. How many times do you come to this place of worship expecting one thing and you get something totally different? You may have come today expecting to hear one of those passages from the Gospels. One of those passages that says, He is not here. He's risen, as He said. But you're receiving something else. We know this asking for money was a regular routine for this man. We're told they laid Him daily at the gate of the temple. He probably had good days and bad days at that gate, depending on the people that entered. And that's true because some of us are willing to meet needs. And others of us aren't so quick to meet needs, even if we're on the way to worship. But Peter and John have time to stop. They take the time because they've learned from the best. They walked and, and watched Jesus for three years and how many a time His schedule would change because some need would not be silenced. And Peter and John stopped and they spoke to Him. And Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And we're told that immediately His feet and ankles were made strong. And He entered the temple with them praising God. Now this is our first contrast. Before the name of Jesus is mentioned, this man's day is going just like any other. 
He speaks to people hoping for the best, and that best is that he would receive enough money that day to be able to eat, to buy bread and eat, and perhaps have a little saved over to give to those who made sure that he made it to the temple each and every day. But after the name of this resurrected Christ had been used over him, he jumps to his feet. He'll never have to worry again about someone having to carry him. He's all of a sudden free. His whole life has changed because of this resurrected Christ. Now you and I may read that and we may just pass over it not really thinking, but if you've ever been dependent upon someone for transportation, if every time you went somewhere you had to depend on someone else you think about what a change that would be. I know when I was in seminary, my roommate was from such a poor background in Alabama, he was one of ten children, that he didn't even own a car. And not only that, but he had never even learned how to drive. And by the time he was a senior in seminary, it was kind of worked out that he would supply a church in Greenville regularly, which was a 45-minute drive from due west and the Erskine campus. And this is the neat thing about the Erskine community. When, when the Erskine community found out that this seminary student needed a car, a bunch of people went together and we bought him this old Plymouth tank that we thought he wouldn't be able to tear up. And it fell to me and a friend of mine to teach him how to drive. Now, that's a story for another time, but suffice it to say that I'm thankful I was a, of the Reformed faith. You know, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. The interesting thing about this story is that he named his car. And he called it Nathaniel. And Nathaniel means God gave. You see, he went to class one day, just like any other day, expecting to learn something from his professors, expecting to have some interactions with other students, and he came out of that class with car keys in his hand. Something totally unexpected, thanks to the power of God working through his people. And that's the same kind of occurrence we see in this text today. That God makes a difference through His power. And of course, the people knew who this man was. They had seen him at the temple gate. He had asked them for alms many a time. Some of them had probably helped him in the past. And then all of a sudden, here he is walking around and jumping and praising God. And we're told that all of the people were astounded. And they ran together there on Solomon's porch, which is on the east side of the temple. And since God provides him a congregation, notice, like any good preacher, Peter does not waste his opportunity. He begins to preach. And this is where we see our second contrast. Peter said, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, glorified His servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied. 
in the presence of Pilate. You hear that contrast? God glorified Jesus and the people of God denied Him. It's an interesting condemnation when we consider the source, isn't it? That Peter is talking about these people denying the Lord Jesus when He's the very one who did the same thing. You see, it takes a sinner to know a sinner. And in a manner of speaking, Peter is saying, you have committed the same sin as I did. You denied the Lord of glory, the very Son of God, this suffering servant whom God Himself glorified. Now, Peter doesn't tell us here in this text specifically how God glorified Jesus, but we know what Peter means because we remember what Jesus taught His disciples on that night in the upper room before His crucifixion. And in case you don't remember it, I'm going to help you remember it. We find it in John 13, and Jesus has been speaking with His disciples. All of a sudden, He turns to Judas. He says, whatever you're going to do, go out and do it quickly. He sends Judas out to betray Him, and then this is what He says, now is the Son of Man glorified, and in Him God is glorified. And then he goes on to say, if God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself. In other words, Jesus is saying, God's also going to glorify Me and He will glorify Me at once. Now what happens in just a few hours from the time He says those words? He's crucified on the cross. And then not too many hours later, He's raised to life, and some days later, He ascends into heaven. You see, Jesus is saying that the supreme place on where His glory will reside is on the cross. And this future glorification of Him by God is the series of events that will take place beginning in just a few hours with His crucifixion continuing with His resurrection all the way to His ascension into heaven. This is what God will do. But what do the people do? What do God's people do? They deny Him before Pilate. And this truth should be uncomfortable to you and me. Because if God's people denied Him, if Peter denied Him, this disciple who loved Jesus, who, who lived with Him, who saw Him teach and preach, who saw Him perform miracle after miracle, if Peter denied Him, then you and I are going to deny Him as well. This is our sin that even though we profess to love Jesus, we deny Him as well when we fail to mention his name in conversation with those who do not know Him or with anyone else. We deny Him when we fail to bring His truth to apply in societal issues. When we fail to give Him the glory for those good things that are happening in our lives and we try and make it sound like to other people, it's all because 
of our education, because of our gifts, because of our skills, because of the way we live life, that these good things are happening and we give no glory to God. We deny Him again and again. In fact, as we think about our own sin, we have to remember the truth that Scripture teaches us about sin in the letter of James, the first chapter, when he says, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth what? Death. Just like Paul says in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. That's what sin does. It brings Death, and that's why Jesus had to die on the cross because of your sin and my sin and the sins of the world. In fact, Peter puts it this way in our text. You denied the holy righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life. And God raised him on the third day. And we can notice in these words our third contrast. We can see that you and I, we are in the business of death. And God is in the business of life. You denied the holy and righteous one, we're told. We see here, as Will Williman puts it, a tragic human no that has God has overcome in the powerful yes of the resurrection. This is a story that is played out over and over again in world history. When confronted by God's truth, humanity responds the only way in which humanity knows how to respond with anger and hate and prejudice and violence and ultimately death. And we see that violence and death all around us in our world today, don't we? We see it in airline pilots who fly their plane all the way into the ground, killing everyone on board. We see it in schools where school children shoot other school children. We see it in the world where Muslims are, are killing Christians and Muslims are killing other Muslims. And terrorists are killing anyone they can so that they can make some kind of misinformed statement about who they are. Peter's world had this same kind of idiotic death at work in it. They had all seen the brutality of the pagan Roman Empire. Many of these people had probably witnessed persecutions and executions, maybe even Jesus' execution on the cross. But notice that Peter is not preaching principles or ideas to change the world. That's not what he's preaching here. He knows the world needs change, but he's not preaching some kind of new idea. He is preaching Jesus Christ. This name, this name of Jesus is what changed this man's life. This is why he's strong. This risen Christ makes all the difference in the world. And you know, this is what we see in the beautiful story of the resurrection that we do find in those four Gospels. A story that God writes Himself because Peter tells us 
that God raised him from the dead. You know, on that first day of the week when the resurrection took place, just think about how all of Jerusalem was trying to get back to normal. I mean, it had been a terrible weekend, and not only that, but a very busy weekend with the Feast of Passover. Passover is now over. There have been riots in the streets. There have been people executed on crosses. There's been a trial at the high priest's residence. All kinds of things had happened. And they were trying to get back to some sense of normalcy. But this yearning to get back to more of a normal routine is all of a sudden disrupted. Disrupted by the news of this resurrection. But nobody knows what to believe. You know, all of Jerusalem's trying to get back to normal, but they can't because all of a sudden there are rumors floating everywhere about how Jesus, this great teacher and rabbi, may be alive. But no one really knows what to think. In a conversation between two disciples of Jesus on the road to Emmaus, a story that Luke gives us in his gospel shows just how nobody really knew what to believe. Because before they realized that this stranger who's walking along with them is Jesus, is the risen Christ, this is what they say to him. Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. And they came back saying to us and talking about a vision even of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said. But him they did not find. They don't know what to believe. And we know what those angels said to the women. He is not here. He is risen, as He said. Notice the angels didn't say anything about how now there's a doctrine of the resurrection. You need to be learning that. That's not what the angels are talking about. Nor are they talking about some kind of principle about how you and I can be raised. That's all true. It's there in the Bible, but that's not what the angel is talking about. It's all about Christ. He is not here. He is risen, as He said. They speak only of Jesus. It's the risen Christ that has changed these disciples. It's the risen Christ that has forgiven them. It's the risen Christ who by His power is forming the church. The church that goes out and is making disciples of all nations. And they came to realize that with a resurrected Jesus who is out at work in the world, nothing is impossible. And everything has changed. Is, is this not what Luke is telling us in the bigger picture of our text? With a risen Christ on the loose, there are no more normal or usual expectations. There can only be great expectations. We need to expect the unexpected. This lame man who had suffered his disability since birth, he had the same expectations every single day. 
Someone would have to carry him if he were to be going anywhere. But this risen Christ changed everything in his life. He could never have imagined that one day he would walk, and not only that, but leap and jump and praise God and more. Much to the amazement of all of these people at the temple. But did you notice that Peter and John are not amazed? That's because they already know the good news of the gospel. Good news that Paul would later write in 2 Corinthians 5 that tells us if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This man, once lame, now walks. And he has the proper response to that work of God in his life. He goes to worship. He goes to praise God. He goes to worship the risen Christ. The question for you and me from this text is, what do we do with this same risen Christ? Does His life somehow change the way we live and who we are and more importantly our expectations in the rest of this day and the rest of the days of our lives? I mean, it's one thing to say Happy Easter. It's something totally different to walk into this place and expect the unexpected by God's power and grace. We have the good news that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Believe that good news and live in its peace. Amen. Amen.